When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me, as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's going on? Not much. Uh, a big, not really even a week. Uh, it's going to be a big month of soccer coming up. Um, a really compacted schedule for the Timbers, so... Um, I'm really excited about our guest today uh, that gets to preview some of that soccer and um, been looking forward to that uh, for a lot of the day. Among many other topics of conversation uh, with our guest today, a very good interview that we just wrapped up. Um, I'm only going to keep you in suspense very momentarily about that. Nat Borcher's joining the show for the first time, certainly not the last time. Uh, and and I think that should give you an indication uh, of the confidence we have in this interview. Uh, but first, uh, another hat tip to Jamie Goldberg who is missing another um, NBA Finals game. Uh, your Warriors weren't able to get it done, as Matt Doyle promised last week. We're not able to get it done in four. We're not able to complete 16-0. How are you feeling? 3-1. This is not a comfortable position for uh, for, for Dubs fans. I, I feel pretty confident um, that they're going to pull it out. And I, I feel pretty confident that hopefully I'll get to catch uh, most of the second half and, and watch them celebrate. So, um they're pretty good at home, and I don't think this is going to be last year again. Okay, so you 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 are confident. Uh, hitting all of our other random topic of topics of conversation, uh, the Cubs are bad. <laughs> the Giants are still worse, I believe, um, and uh, and the weather is overcast, uh, kind of cool, actually unseasonably cool today, uh, which I like. You you probably have. Uh, <laughs> Uh, ob- objections to yes yeah. exactly so uh so that is a, that that's what's going on in all of the, the sort of miscellany that we discuss on the show let's just get then right to nat because uh, we've got some miscellany in there but it's far higher quality miscellany <laughs> than this uh so uh here is our our discussion with uh with nat borchers uh and we will be back with you just on the other end it is our great pleasure to welcome to the show i i believe for the first time uh, a, a, a Timbers legend, uh, a Real Salt Lake legend, I guess going back, a, a Colorado Rapids legend, although some uh, some, some tension there. Uh, Nat Borchers. Nat, thank you so much for joining the show. How are you? I am doing great, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm actually a bit surprised that this is my first time on your show. I, I, I am surprised and like maybe a little bit ashamed as well. Uh, I, I, nobody to blame but myself on that one. So I, I will take uh, the, the, the blame. However, uh, I, I did hear that you, you've become, you know, maybe I, I'm going to say that you're a fan of ours because that makes me feel really good. You can characterize it however you want, but I, I heard that, <laughs> that was the case. Is that true? 
I think it absolutely, it absolutely is true. I mean, uh, well, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of you guys uh, because I get to listen to you guys on my drive down to Salem pretty much, you know, every single week. So I, I head down to Salem. This is where my real estate investment business is right now. And um, I'm trying to keep up with all things on the Timbers front because I'm obviously not at training anymore. So it's been, uh, it's been a pleasure to learn, learn a little bit more about the team from you guys' perspective. Well, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, I, I've also heard that you, you maybe have some suggestions as far as, you know, maybe a theme song for the, for the podcast goes. So I just want to extend the invitation. Feel free to accept it. Feel free to decline it. But if at any point you feel like breaking into songs or to doing an acapella <laughs> while we're talking today, don't feel inhibited. We're not going to stop you by any means. So we would very much appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. I, like I said before, you know, before uh, we started this, you know, I just need to get a little bit warmed up and then you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> well, perfectly fair. Jamie, why don't you just uh, jump right in? We'll, we'll start firing questions at, at Nat and see if we can uh, get him nice and warmed up for that. <laughs> yeah, so so you mentioned the real estate business, but obviously uh, uh, along with doing that, um, you've joined the Timbers broadcast team this year as a sideline reporter um, for games at Providence Park. How has that experience been for you? Has anything surprised you about it so far? Well, it's been a, a challenge for sure. You know, I, I didn't know how much kind of went into the broadcast side of things until I really started getting going on it. And I realized that I've got a ton to learn about this side of the business, about what you guys do and how to ask the right questions and how to, you know, phrase things in terms of like the soccer side of things. So uh, it's been a big challenge, but I, I really enjoyed it. It's like a, a new rush. And the awesome thing I think about what I'm doing now is I'm literally, I have the best seat in the house for these Timbers games. I'm literally on the 50 yard line and I get to watch you know, all of the stuff go on, you know, from the benches, the coaches, the players. And so that's been really exciting for me. So, uh, you know, in, in being sort of in that game day experience, you, you've now seen it from a couple different angles. You've played uh, looking ahead to tomorrow. We're recording on Monday evening. Uh, you, you've played in at least one U.S. Open Cup game against the Sounders at Starfire during your time in MLS. Uh, have you played more? Did you play them uh, at Starfire when you were with RSL? Yes, actually we did. And I remember Sebastian Latou was on that Seattle Sounders team and he just tore us apart. I remember we just came in there kind of with a little bit of a lack of edge and a little bit of a lack of confidence. And we absolutely got destroyed, I remember. And the Starfires, this small little field and, you know, you can just, you know, in a matter of minutes, you can just, you know, go go from 0-0 to, you know, 3-0. And, um, you know, Seattle's got a ton of confidence playing there. So you've, you've been there a couple times then. Uh, the second time was uh, a little bit better, although perhaps more bizarre experience. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it, it looks like this game is going <laughs> to yeah. be a little bit different from, you know, 2015 or when you were there before. If, you know, one of the 11 guys that, that was expecting to get to the, the start, you know, maybe a Jeremy Abobasi or a Victor Arbolata or something like that came up to you and said, Nat, you've been there before. You've been in U.S. Open Cup there. What should I expect on Tuesday? What would you tell him? You know, I, I would I would say it's a lot like playing in Europe in like a second division game because it's just such an intimate place to play. It's such a a place of I would say there's a lot of tension in the game uh, because it is a rivalry game with Portland and Seattle, and I think that you know really these are the kind of games where you have to limit your mistakes because it's just really you know, difficult on a small field like that, you know, not to 
give up mistakes and not to, you know, be a little bit nervous. So, Nat, you're obviously a, a recent retiree. Um, how how has the transition uh, for you out transitioning out of your playing days been? Uh, have you ever had the urge, uh, say, you know, last week when the Timbers lose two center backs in one game to uh, tie on your boots and get back out there? Well, as, as you can hear, as you can hear in the background, you know, I've got a I've got a couple of kiddos that that run around the the house and they keep me be pretty busy I think in, in terms of my uh my off the field stuff but it, it's it's definitely been you know a challenge for sure you know you go 14 years in an industry where you know all you know is the, the day-to-day of, of being a professional athlete and being you know part of a team and you know having to uh, you know, prepare for these games and now there's a lot of freedom in my life in terms of what I, I can and can't do and I call a lot of the shots and you know it's it's all parts terrifying and all parts exciting, you know, in, in terms of, of, of that experience. So I really enjoyed it from, you know, that standpoint, but I do still miss competing for sure. So when talking about that, that transition, there have been a number of players, I mean, just in the last year, you, Jack, Ned, uh, who have made the transition from the locker room to some role in the club, whether it's in the front office or with the broadcast team on the business side, in the case of Jack. Uh, what about the club do you think it is that, that, that sort of draws you guys to, to, to sort of stay involved, stay with the club uh, and make the transition in that respect uh, instead of, you know, maybe going back to your hometown or going back to, to Salt Lake, a place where you lived for a long time? Yeah, that's an excellent question. You know, I I think that, when my wife and I were, were looking at our next step and thinking uh, what's going to be our, our best play, we we looked at, of course, you know, Colorado, you know, where we grew up and, you know, where we lived and looked at Salt Lake, where we were the past seven years. And then, you know, we, we looked at Portland, where we've just been the last you know, only two years, and we just fell in love with Portland, and, and we loved the, the city and the state of Oregon, you know, the beaches, the mountains. Uh, there's a lot this place has to offer. And long term, we decided, hey, this was – really where we wanted to be. And, you know, I approached the club when I made my decision that I was ready to move on uh, from soccer and they were brilliant with the, the opportunity and in, in, in broadcasting, they said they wanted me to continue to be a part of the club. And that really made me, you know, feel valued and uh, maybe want to, you know, continue to, to, to work hard for them. So uh, definitely grateful for that experience and that opportunity. And, you know, that's what, you know, a, a, a club like Portland offers, I think, older guys is is they want us to stay with the club. They they've had good experiences with us, and um, you know we want to reciprocate. So it's definitely a win win situation. You know, I'm vaguely remembering a, a a tweet or an Instagram post or something like that from you where you were studying for your your coaching exams. Is that something that you still think is in your future, getting into coaching in in some respect, whether it's at the youth level or at the professional level or or, or something like that? Coaching was, for a brief moment in time, definitely on my radar. And I think that, especially after MLS Cup, uh, you know, 2015, you know, it was really on my radar. I thought, you know, for sure I'd want to get involved in, in some aspect at some level. Um, you know, and then last year I changed my mind. You know, I, I really started focusing more on my real estate business. And, you know, broadcasting looked more appealing and, um, you know, I, I think that at some point in time, I might be interested in getting in, involved, but, you know, with my personality and, and the thing, the things that I'm really interested in now, it's just not something that I, I really want to pursue. 
Now, how are you doing um, kind of from a health perspective? Obviously, the Achilles injury um, was something you've been recovering from. Are you back to 100% yet, or is it something that's still bothering you? Yeah, so I, I'm doing PT uh, up at Providence with my man Nick Thompson, and, you know, I'm going there, you know, once every couple of weeks now. I'm, I've got my own program that I can kind of follow, you know, um, outside of being there. And, uh, you know, I'm making progress. I, I would say that, you know, I, I, I can run now, you know, I can be active, almost as active as I, you know, as being on the field, but I'm not quite cleared yet. You know, I still need another, you know, probably a couple of months, get some more strength back in my, my left calf, um, you know, and then I'll be a free agent for all the rec league teams out there, you know, so uh, I'm still, still recovering, still, you know, still not quite there. You know, it'll, it'll be one year uh, next month, I believe, since I, I ruptured my Achilles tendon. So, um, but I've made progress, you know, and, and I'm, I'm definitely in no rush to get back out there. Do you have any so, idea how many tweets you're going to get? Uh, because you <laughs> said you're going to be a free agent for rec league yeah. games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you going to, I honestly, I honestly can't wait though. Uh, to, you know, I, I've missed, you know, the pitch, you know, and, and, you know, it's just, it's special when you, you know, have this, this thing that you've been involved in for so long and it's the beautiful game and, uh, you know, being away from it has really, uh, I guess, stoked my fire a little bit to be back on the field and, and just, just get some touches on the ball, just play some 5v2, you know, pass it and juggle it a little bit and, you know, just enjoy the game a little bit. So I, I guess putting your broadcast analyst hat on a little bit, uh, you know, from a 10,000 foot level, you, you, <laughs> you've been down literally on the field, but stepping back now, you know, how do you sort of assess the season as a whole? Um, you know, how has the team looked to you both from your perspective on the field? And then, you know, obviously when you're, uh, thinking on your way down to Salem or, or, or watching on TV. You know, I, I was really impressed with the first three games that the Timbers played, you know, I, I, the, that front six, you know, watching them move together, watching Diego Valeri and Darlington Nagby combine Fernando Adi, Sebastian Blanco's inclusion that's been so much fun, you know, and I think that they lost that dynamic a little bit, you know, uh, the next four or five games. And then, you know, I think they've regained form in the last couple of games. And it's been really fun to just watch you know, from afar and be, be a fan, be a spectator, be an analyst, uh, because there's things that I didn't pick up on as a player, you know, and there's viewpoints that I didn't see or hear uh, that I see now. And I think that, if you're a Portland Timbers fan, you, you have to be very excited with where the team's at, you know, because I think that the offense is starting to click again. Uh, Fernando Audi had a beast mode game on Saturday night, which was so much fun to see. Um, you know, and I'm still, you know, a bit heavily biased because I still, you know, love all those guys, you know, from my time there and, you know, uh, being in the locker room and um, really just enjoy being at matches too. So, you know, I guess from the the sort of emotional standpoint of a game, how is it different from, you know, I, I mean, as a player, you're obviously, obviously very, very invested in, in, in a game. Uh, you know, maybe even when you're not, you know, down on the field, when it's a road game and you're, and you're watching on TV or, or, or something like that, how is the emotional investment uh, in it? Because obviously, you know, I, I know it from sort of a, a, a fan and you know, journalist, broadcaster thing perspective. Jamie knows it from a journalist perspective. How has that change sort of been for you from uh, the experience of just experiencing a game? 
completely different for sure. You know, I'm, I'm not going there to, you know, have a beer and kick it with my friends. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm there for, you know, uh, to, to add value to the broadcast, to add value to, to Jake uh, Zivin and, and Ross Smith and Samantha Yarick and, you know, be a part of that. So I take that part very seriously. And, you know, um, it, I think that, you know, being, you know, so close to the team, I get to offer a vantage, uh, a viewpoint that's just different from, you know, what everybody else has to see and what everybody else has experienced, you know, just you know, talking about, for example, you know, how good Vitas is in crossing the ball or how good Darlington is with his movement and, uh, you know, how hard it is to play against Diego Char when he's nipping at your heels, uh, you know. So I think that's been really fun to provide that, that viewpoint. All righty. Well, we are going to get you out of here, get you back to the kids running around um, and, and, and to, uh, to, to to get you back to the, the musical writing board. So the next time we have you on the show and there absolutely will be a next time, uh, we'll have your jingle uh, all, all ready and, and fired up. Absolutely. Well, and I can't wait to hear my own voice on my on my drive down to tomorrow. It'll be, it'll be nice. I, I can critique myself and, uh, you know, hear the viewpoints of you guys from the game. And uh, no, I really appreciate it. Uh, talking to you guys uh, thank you so much for having me as always and you know, look forward to seeing you guys in the press room once again a big thank you to nat for coming on the show uh that was very enjoyable uh we will definitely have him again uh i i flatter myself with calling him a fan but uh <laughs> but we are certainly fans of his uh and, and certainly a fan of the, the uh, of that interview right there what, would, what did you think jamie goldberg yeah, it's always great to hear from Nat. Um, and it's an interesting perspective, honestly, to see what it's like to transition uh, from being a player to um, being really an analyst for, for the broadcast team. I think he brings a really um, interesting perspective uh, to the dynamic, and it was really great to have him on. The most recent game that uh, he analyzed, of course, was the Timbers 2-0 win over FC Dallas uh, on Saturday evening at, at Providence Park. Uh, our predictions... Uh, Okay. Uh, I called a 4-2 okay. win for the, for the Timbers. What? Mine was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yours, yours was more okay than mine. I, I will, I'll give you that. Uh, I called a 4-2 win for the Timbers uh, over FC Dallas and, and went way out there uh, on a limb and called a Sebastian Blanco brace because, you know, YOLO. Uh, you <laughs> decided to go uh, 2-1 Timbers uh, with a Fernando Adi goal. Uh, I, I guess I got the, both the, the result and the margin Blanco did have an assist. He played well, especially in the first half, sort of, you know, just became a little bit of a cog in the second half. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll give out the point again, points again. I guess I'll give myself 8.69 points, uh, for, for that effort. Jamie, you called a two, one win Fernando Adi goal. you, You did get the result as well. You didn't get the margin, right. But you did get the Timbers number of goals, right. Uh, and you, you correctly predicted that Fernando Adi would score a goal. He scored whatever the double a is of, of, of goals. Uh, so I'm going to give you 16.37 points, uh, for, for the, uh, the whole thing. I mean, calling a Fernando Adi goal at Providence park, well, yes, he he'd been in a slump. Yes, he'd been in a slump. But hey, as we talked about last week, th- him coming out of that slump was totally predictable. You doubled me up in points. I think that's fair. Make your case. <laughs> hey, it was his longest slump since 2015. It, so I don't think it was so low difficulty that he was going to uh, suddenly find that goal. But um, you were rewarded for it. You were rewarded. I, 
I still think I deserved a few more, but well, if, maybe if you'd call called the double A uh, of goals, if you called the double A, you'd be you'd be getting more points. But as well, it is, I need to go talk to Zarek Valentine. I mean, he he messed up my prediction. He really did. He <laughs> he 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 really did mess up your prediction. Um, but yeah, okay. Uh, l- let's talk about a, a number of talking points coming out of this game. Uh, I think it's always fair, and, and this sort of starts us, uh, you know, uh, up at the forest level uh, of this game. But but it's fair in a game like this when you're internet international window, when you got some injuries, especially on the other side for uh, FC Dallas coming into the game, some injuries for the Timbers during the game, of course. You know, it's fair to sort of ask this as the primary question. Do you think this was more about the Timbers playing especially well against a good opponent? Or do you think it was more about that opponent being substantially weakened by those injuries and by those call-ups? Jamie Goldberg, what do you say? Look, I... I And also, by the way, at the end of your answer, (laughs) say whether you think as a writer, you think it should be call-ups or calls up. I, I definitely think Dallas was weakened. I, I think their back line was completely decimated. The Timbers probably were on the better side of um, the injuries and absences at the start of the game than Dallas. But the Timbers lost both their center backs in a game. And I don't think I don't think that happens very often. And I, I think if you told me that before the game, I, I wouldn't be predicting a decisive Timbers win. That's a major blow. And, and the Timbers end up coming away with the clean sheet. They They end up having a very strong performance for the second week in a row scoring the two goals. I, I think this was an important win. I, I think it made, they made a little bit of a statement. Yes. Dallas was weakened, but they are a very good team and they still had some very good players as particularly in the attack uh, on the field. And, and now you look at the Timbers two games against Dallas on the road, even though they weren't able to pull out that win on the road, that was a good performance and they did get the point and Dallas in Portland, they could, come here and the Timbers get all three points, four points in two games against the team with the best points per game total in the Western conference. So I don't just throw this game away and say, uh, yeah, Dallas was weakened and therefore the Timbers got lucky or something like that. The the Timbers were just as weakened when you factor in the fact that they lost their two center backs in the game as Dallas and and they got a clean sheet and scored two goals and, and put in a decisive performance to get the win. So I think this is an important win for the Timbers, and it, it does show that they, um, as Nat said, it seemed to be back in form. Um, you know, oh, sorry. What was what was the call ups? Oh, the yeah. Is it is it call ups or calls up? I, I go with call call ups. Call ups uh, as as a a person who writes uh, for yeah. her profession. Do you do you have rationale for that? It sounds right. It sounds right. Okay, that's pretty good. That's better than mine. I think it should be calls up just because I'm a blogger and I want to be contrarian. And grammar doesn't matter for us. We can do whatever we want. We have none of your AP style garbage. Um, so, okay, uh, I, I I have sort of evolved in my view of this game. Uh, I, I thought it was a good win uh, while I, I was sort of leaving Providence Park on, on Saturday evening after writing. But I, I'm not sure I was entirely convinced by it. You know, I, I guess I was sort of putting an asterisk on it. And, you know, I have gravitated much, much more toward your perspective over the course of the last couple of days as I've kind of digested the game, you know, I gone with the, the the way the game played through. The job that the Timbers did really significantly until Dallas was just chucking numbers forward toward the end of the game, pretty significantly limiting Dallas in the attack with a good attacking group, uh, really doing a nice job of breaking down a Dallas midfield that was still a really strong midfield. Yes, Kellen Acosta wasn't there because he was with the national team putting in a good shift at, at Azteca, 
But Victor Ulloa is probably about as good a you know third defensive midfielder as any team has in MLS. And I thought the Timbers did well uh, against he and Grueso. Um, and, 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 and so, you know, I mean, you look at those things, you look at the overall performance that the Timbers put in, and then you consider what you just noted, that they lost Liam Ridgewell at half hour. They, that, that Roy Miller uh, picked up an injury uh, really only about 15 minutes later. He did come back and play in the second half, but he, he, he left by the hour because he, he couldn't go any longer with what we now know is a foot sprain or, or some sort of foot involvement. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you throw that in. So you throw the fact that the Timbers were playing their probably fourth and fifth choice center backs uh, on their back line. They had holes in, in their defensive midfield because of that. They really sort of had to reshape the, the team over the course of the game. And you look at the fact that the Timbers were in good control throughout all of that. All of that was going on. There was sort of chaos in the lineup. There was chaos on the back line as far as the personnel goes. But everything stayed in control. And I think that's really, really impressive and something that I'm not sure we see from this team uh, three, four weeks ago. I'm not sure we see that uh, sort of when they're in their downturn. And I think you're exactly right. I think Nat's exactly right the, that when you sort of take all of that into account, you've got to say, yeah, this is sort of a, a, the kind of performance where you say, OK, this team has entered a new phase. Like this team has come out of that slump that they're in uh, and has answered a lot of the questions that we had about them. And now you look at the road going forward. You've got uh, a couple winnable games on the road, albeit in a, in a compressed window. You've got a couple winnable, winnable games on the road. You've got a, a, a rivalry game at home. Certainly that on paper looks like it, it could be a winnable one uh, coming back on the weekend. And you're saying, all right, this team's in good form now going into that uh, that that little stretch right there. And, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I am certainly more toward the former now than the latter uh, whereas I may have been a little bit more of the latter uh, on Saturday evening leaving the park. So uh, very good performance, very good win. I think we can agree uh, for the Timbers uh, on Saturday over an FC Dallas team that, yeah, I, I think you're right. You can't say was any more limited, certainly by, you know, half an hour into the game uh, than the Timbers were. Certainly uh, on the attacking side, uh, the big talking point coming out of this is, is Fernando Adi's resurgence. As you noted, he was in the midst of his worst goal-scoring slump, at least, uh, since 2015. That is over, and it's over in a very meaningful way. Coming away with two goals uh, for for the Timbers, uh, he, he lodged, what what is that, like his 13th brace or something yeah, like that? Which 13th. is which is utterly preposterous and even more amazing when you consider that he hasn't had a hat trick, uh, had what might've been a, a look at a hat trick, uh, late in the second half, didn't come off, uh, as the ball was tackled away from him, but nonetheless, 13 braces, no hat tricks for Fernando Adi. Uh, how important sort of in the medium and long term is sort of Adi coming back from his, you know, month or six week long, uh, sort of downturn in, in, in form. How important is that for this Timbers attack? Yeah, it's huge. I, when you look at the beginning of the season, and I think Nat mentioned this as well, when you look at the beginning of the season, the Timbers um, look dominant in the attack because Fernando Audi, Diego Valeria, Sebastian Bongo, Darlington Agnew, the way they were looking together, it looked like the best front four in MLS. And, and that comes down to Audi and Valeri um, primarily being in form. When those two players are playing their best soccer, the Timbers are very difficult to stop. Uh, in the attack and, and they need Audi to score goals. They need Audi to score goals consistently. They, the expectation is that Audi is going to be the leading scorer on this team with Valeri, maybe not that far behind him, but um, when Audi's in a slump, I think it's a lot more difficult for the Timbers to pick up results because they rely on him to provide the majority of the goals. So I, I think 
with the striker there a lot of it has to do with confidence a lot of it has to do with being in form and getting two goals is kind of what he might need to now go on a little bit of run and, and be a little bit more consistent in his production than he has been in, in recent weeks and if Audi's scoring if Larry's scoring I, I'm pretty confident about what this Timbers can, team can do in the attack and so I think it's huge to see him finally come out of the slump I, I'm not surprised to see him come out but um, you didn't want it to go on much longer. You know, you're exactly right to to focus on sort of the the importance of Adi within the Timbers scheme. And, and I, look, I mean, Adi and, and Diego Valeri are always going to be sort of the primary goal scorers in this in this system, in this setup. And that's fine because both of those guys are really, really good goal scorers, right? Uh, it's important that the Timbers get contributions from other places. That is, that is absolutely important. And to that, I mean, to that point, the Timbers, I think, have 11 different goal scorers right now, which is the most in MLS. So good. That's great. They do need to have a couple guys sort of step up and be like, yeah, I'm going to be the guy that's going to score five, six, seven, maybe eight goals in addition to the 14, 15, 16 uh, that you can expect to see from, from Adi. I think you look at Sebastian Blanco. I, I think you look at Darlington Nagby and say, OK, guys, that is sort of the, the, the space you have to step into. Maybe you look at David Guzman and say, yeah, I want you to be a guy that that over the course of the season is going to give me four or five goals as well. And then you look for some from Dirona Spria and, and, and Darren Maddox and, and maybe even Jeremy Abobasi, uh coming off the bench uh, to chip in a couple of three or four um, themselves. You do need sort of multiplicity in, in that regard. But look, when you look at sort of team-wide, yes, they are getting sort of the, the nickel and dime contributions from broad base, from sort of the broad base of players uh, that you'd like to see. But it is still going to be sort of the Adi and Valeri show. And, and, and when one of those guys at least is off, or as we've discussed over the course of the last few weeks, both of those guys uh, are, are, are a little bit off, the Timbers attack is really going to struggle. Uh, and, and especially until they get that next player that steps up and, and says, yes, I'm going to be the six to eight goal scorer that's going to be sort of the, the, the third goal, goal scoring option. Uh, until they get that on a consistent basis, uh, there really isn't going to be no fail safe, uh, so to speak, for uh, Adi or Valeri uh, sort of falling out of form. And so having Adi back in form, having Adi's confidence back, uh, it can't be understated uh, how important that is for the Timbers. Uh, we mentioned it a moment ago, the Timbers had both their starting center backs from this game, Liam Ridgewell and Roy Miller, uh, come out. Ridgewell in the, in the first half, I think it was technically the 26th minute, Miller ended up coming out just after the hour. Have you ever seen that in the game? I mean, how wild is that uh, for the Timbers? And who do you think deserves the most praise sort of in stepping into that void, uh, whether it's a Ben Zemanski who stepped into central midfield, whether it's a Lawrence Olam who stepped into the back line, uh, or whether it, 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 it's a uh, an Amobio Kuga who also initially stepped into midfield and then stepped into the back line. Of those three, who do you think deserves sort of the most credit for that coming together? Yeah, I've I've never seen anything like that. Um, it, it was pretty shocking to see both Ridgewell go down and then Roy Miller um, go down shortly after. And I, I like I said before, I, I'm not sure that many teams would recover from that. And I, I think it does speak to how well the Timbers depth performed and stepped up in that game. I, I think you look at Olam, you look at a, a Mobia Kugo, you look at Ben Zemaski, I think all of them did a really good job to come in and, and from the defensive end, keep um, FC Dallas off the board. I, I think that was a big clean sheet to get given the circumstances and given that the offensive side was not the side that Dallas was um, as depleted in. So um, I, I think it's, I think they all um, did well in their contributions. I think I, I would 
single out of Moby Akugo. I, I, he had to come in and play two separate positions. He's a guy that I think people forget about sometimes uh, based on where he's on the depth chart. Um, it, it, he's not a guy that gets a lot of praise necessarily, but he came in, switched from one position to another position, um, and, and I think did a very good job on the defensive side to prevent FC Dallas from getting on the board. So Okugo is my guy too, but that's no fun at all. Uh, but you're exactly right. I mean, it, it is really, really hard to come into a game cold, right? I mean, that, that's not an easy proposition to start with. But to not only come into a game cold and then to, to come into, in, into it and then have to switch positions midway through, that's really, really challenging. And I think that speaks tremendously, not only to, to, to sort of uh, Okugo's you know, versatility or flexibility, but also just the way he goes about preparing, even though he's not the guy on the bench that, that you would think, all right, you know, you're, you're, you're likely to be coming into this game. He's a guy on the bench that is only going to come in very, very situationally. But the ability to, to sort of do that, come in, put in 60 minutes at two different positions uh, in a game that he may not have otherwise been expecting to be in speaks incredibly highly of, of his professionalism, the way he prepares in his football intelligence. And so uh, I, I, I think you're right to, to point out uh, that, that Okugo, even though a guy that's, you know, not getting more than, you know, a half dozen or so appearances per year, uh, really, really covered himself in a lot of glory. Uh, to sort of turn a phrase that's usually used otherwise uh, around, really covered himself in, in a lot of glory in, in, in that performance. The other guy, though, that, that I'm going to sort of devil's advocately uh, talk about here, and, and I'll talk about it so, sort of from the perspective of deals and, and, and acquisitions that, that have become more important than we thought. Look, I, I mean, Lawrence Olam had now has been very solid in, you know, two and a half or, or a, a game and a half or so uh, of play at defensive midfield. He's been very solid uh, by and large. He, he's not had, he's had a few poor moments, but that happens. But by and large, he's been very solid uh, stepping back a, a, as a center back. And it's, you know, I mean, we talked about, and we've talked about whether that, that deal sort of pencils out. And I still think uh, that if I, were, if I were the Timbers, I would have liked to see a little bit more insurance added to the way that deal was structured. But my goodness, where would the Timbers be right now if they didn't have Lawrence Olam? Uh, it would be they would be in bad in bad shape in light of the the injury to Benga Arroyo, uh, in light of the various other injuries, be it to Liam Ridgewell and now to Roy Miller uh, that they've had on the back line, in light of the fact that they aren't able to get Larissa Mabiala here uh, and eligible to play in, until July. Gosh, I mean, where would the Timbers be without Lawrence Olam? The, the simple answer is they'd be in a really hard way. They certainly wouldn't be second in the West right now as, as they are. Uh, and so I, I think he's a guy that, that when you look at the job that he's done by and large at a couple different positions now, it is really, really impressive uh, for somebody that I don't think we expected a lot of preseason. And now I, I, I think he's to some extent proving us wrong in that, re in that regard. So, yes, there is a center back health crisis. We're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in, in a moment. But, you know, I, I think you got to tip your cap to the guys who have stepped up. Uh, and, and stepped into those roles for, for the team in, in the moments when they've needed them. Uh, another guy that, that I, has stepped up in the last couple weeks in particular uh, has been Dyrone Espria with Darlington Nagby going out and Espria in, frankly, what, what I think is fair to say, poor form uh, coming into this sort of, you know, couple weeks period without Nagby. Uh, there was some genuine concern about how that was going to go. I, I think it is entirely uncontroversial, and if you find this scandalous, please say so. It is entirely uncontroversial to say, by and large, Espria has been great 
uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks, especially relative to what we've expected of him. Uh, my question for you, uh, as long as you agree with my premise, uh, is do you think this is sort of a temporary uptick in form for Dyrona Spria, or do you think this is a genuine breakthrough for a guy that the Timbers can now expect more from going forward? Yeah, I, I think that he has been great. I, I think he's been very important in the attack and it's been a big reason why the Timbers have been able to um, get these results just with his contributions and uh, ability to help make things happen on, on that side of the ball. Um, I'm not convinced that this is for good, that this is the Espria we're going to see from now on. He has been a player that has been a bit inconsistent for the Timbers. I, I mean, you look back even to the 2015 um, MLS cup run and he had some brilliant moments in, in that run. And, and the expectation was that he'd come back in 2016 and take over the starting role and be productive, um, for the Timbers. And, and that didn't pan out last year. Uh, this year, I, I think early in the year, uh, in preseason, he looked like a guy that was going to be productive for the Timbers. And then he kind of fell into this slump where he didn't look good at all. Um, it's good to see him playing like this and it's important if the Timbers can have a depth piece like him, a guy that can come in and get starts when he's needed or come off the bench and, and provide, um, that kind of potential production in the attack. Um, but I need to see more before, given the history, before I assume that this is the Espria we're going to see from now on. In sort of classic wishy-washy, uh, mode, I'm going to say both. Uh, that it is probably uh, a sort of temporary uptick in form, as, as players tend to have. Uh, but I also think when you look at sort of the season as a whole, and, and I have been as ruthless in my criticism of Dyron Espria as, as I think I've been of any player on the team uh, this year. And I, I think in the moment and, and sort of when describing his, his down periods, it is certainly valid. And it's fair criticism. I also think I have a little bit of crow to eat, though. Because when you look at sort of the the season-long contributions that Espria has made, I think we're seeing more upticks now. We're seeing more sort of sort of uh, periods of good form relative to periods of bad form than we have from him in the past. And so I do think that's that that that's an important development for Espria. I do think that that you know, I mean, whether it's properly characterized as a breakthrough or just as progress. I think the 2017 version of Dyrona Spria is better than any version that the, the Timbers have had before. And that's even in considering and even lumping in there the, 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 the batch of weeks in which he wasn't very good for the team. I mean, that, that horrible performance that he put in at San Jose. On the other side, he put in a very good performance with San Jose uh, against San Jose at Providence Park last week. Uh, he put in an even better performance against Dallas. I, frankly, yeah, I mean, he would probably, if I had to vote in one of those man-of-the-match thingies, like I, I write on Stumptown Footy and I, I, I get other people to vote in, I would probably vote for Espria. He was outstanding uh, against Dallas. He dominated the left side of Dallas's defense. He he did get on the score sheet in the form of the assist on Fernando Adi's second goal. He darn near had another assist when, when he found Diego Valeri on a really nice little cutback and Valeri hit a, a shot that I thought for all the world was, was going to bury itself inside the far post. It ended up going just wide. Uh, but it was really good vision. It was a really good decision. And it was re- a really good job to get to the point where he could make uh, that cutback. He, he was thoroughly, thoroughly dominant. He was involved. He was connecting passes. Uh, he was making, by and large, pretty good decisions. There were a couple times where I wanted him to, to look to, to shoot or maybe even to play a ball into the box. Uh, when he decided to to play one that was a little bit of a cutback or, or decide, decided to recycle it a little bit. 
But I, I mean, th- that is a very, very small criticism over the course of a game in which he was otherwise excellent. Uh, and, and so, you know, that is the kind of performance that I don't think we've seen very much from him. And we've seen very good ones a couple weeks in a row. And frankly, I don't know that I can remember a, a more complete game. And I mean game, you know, a 90-minute stretch from Espria at any point in his Timbers career than we just saw this last week against Dallas. He's he certainly had some good moments. He's had some really spectacular moments. Uh, he's had some games when he's been more involved than others. I don't think we've seen one like that. Uh, I think that was another level from Espria. He should be feeling very, very confident going forward. Uh, and I think overall, uh, he has had uh, a, a bit of a genuine <laughs> breakthrough of progress this year, as opposed to just sort of uh, temporary blips uh, uh, of success as he's had in the past. Uh, Diego Valeri's disallowed goal. This one came from Zarek Valentin, uh, and, and it was amazing. Uh, Valeri juggled it up to himself, took two touches, uh, and then hit a shot. Uh, on the on the volley that that went inside the far post, it, it, it went in. It was called back by by referee Chris, Chris Penso for a handball on his first touch. Uh, it came up, and and I will just state as fact, it did hit his hand. His hand was sort of away from his body. It did hit his hand. Uh, but let's talk about it. You know, I guess from a practical perspective, how awesome, first of all, was Valeri's shot in in your sort of. How do you rank it in sort of the, the uh, among all of the other pieces of individual skill we've seen from various timbers over the years? Uh, and, and do you think it should have been allowed? Do you think that should have been called a handball? Um, I, I mean, it was tremendous. Uh, <laughs> it, it just even looking at that replay, it, I think I watched it a number of times just because it was such good skill. I think it would have easily been a goal of the year contender. Um, and, and yet I, I do think it was a handball. I think it was a handball that deserved to be called. I think it's one of those things where it's like, yes, that's the right call. I really wish it wasn't because that was incredible. Um, but yes, that's the right call. It's aggravating given uh, the handball calls in, in the box that Timbers didn't get in recent weeks. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that was the right call there. Why do you hate fun, Jamie Goldberg? Is it something that, that like when you're getting your journalism degree, they're like, okay, job number one, we've got to beat the fun out of you. No more fun, Jamie Goldberg. Uh, that that is that is rule number one. Is is that like in the journalist creed somewhere? Like 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 doctors have the Hippocratic oath. Like first do no harm. Journalists have the journalistic oath. First have no fun. Yeah, I guess I'm not being very fun, but I. But I that's think an you understatement. <laughs> I think you have to say that, that it was a handball. Um, it clearly hit his hand. His hand was away from the body. It was a handball. He's as much fun as we want to have. I I don't know. I, I can't say that that shouldn't have been called. Yeah, fine. That's no fun, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's no fun at all. Uh, okay, you know what is, is really fun? This has become a recurring segment on, the, on on this show, and it's sort of like it's now like our lightning round, right? Uh, the injury report. Yay. Yay. Um, this has gotten longer. Uh, let's start right at the, the, the beginning, a very good place to start. And that is with Liam Ridgewell. Uh, you talked to Caleb Porter today. What do we know about Ridgewell? Yeah, Ridgewell has a, uh, quad, um, strain, I think is how Caleb classified it. He's getting a scan today. So later in the week, there might be more detail. It, It sounded like he was questionable to unlikely, um, for the weekend, but the caveat being that the Timbers have to see how that scan turns out. 
my feeling is he's going to be out this weekend and, and it could be a multiple game thing, but you never know. Um, things might seem worse than they are. And once you get that scan and see how he can move forward, I, I think that's going to be the real, uh, the deter, the, what they need to determine the next steps. So immediately after the game, Porter sounded a little bit more positive about Roy Miller. Today, it sounded like he was a little bit more equivocal. What do we know? Yeah, he he called it, I believe, a foot uh, sprain uh, or something like that, um, which doesn't sound as simple as as he made it sound like after the game. Um, He said he still didn't know his status for the weekend. It sounds like maybe he's in a better spot than Ridgewell. but uh, yeah, I agree that it, it sounded not as uh, cheery as it sounded after the game. Uh, Chance Myers, we got a little bit of an update on. I, I know he was one that people were thinking, I was thinking maybe if he's ready to go, if he's healthy, he might get in in this U.S. Open Cup game. Uh, what did Caleb Porter have to say about that today? Yeah, he was back in training today for the first time, I think, in you know more than a month. Um, so that is a good sign for him. But he's not going to be ready to go. He still has to build his way back up to full fitness, and that's a long time to be out. So um, he's not going to be ready to go for the U.S. Open Cup. Yeah, given the length of the of the, uh, 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 of the layoff, I think it's probably more reasonable uh, than I was thinking. Uh, it was more reasonable to think it'll take a couple weeks before he's ready to get back on the field. Uh, Darren Maddox, we learned more about him. I think this is the first time we've had more of a, uh, a kind of a specific timeline on him. What is that timeline? Yeah, he's supposed to be back in training later this week. Um, he's in a similar boat to Myers that in that he needs to work his way back to full strength, full health. Um, but because he hasn't been out as long, Porter said that shouldn't be a process that takes necessarily quite as long as it will take um, Myers to, to get back up to full fitness. So um, we'll kind of see how that works out, but he's supposed to be back in training later this week, and, and then it's just working his way up to full fitness reading between the lines. It sounds to me like that's one of those things where if he can get back in training later this week, maybe after the U S open cup game, uh, then, you know, maybe you could see him in sort of a short substitute appearance, uh, in Minnesota, probably more likely you'd see him uh, on the bench by the Seattle game, uh, on the weekend. Um, okay. Jack Barbie, I, I think is our grand finale here in, in, in the injury report segment. Uh, I know it's been a, 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 a riveting one thus far. So what do we know about Barmby? Uh, when are, is he going to be back in the team providing depth in the attack? Yeah, um, his ankle is still healing. So it, it sounds like it's going to be a, at least a, about a week, um, I think Porter said, before he's back in training. So um, after that, he's going to be in the same boat of needing to make sure he's back up to full fitness and, and everything like that. Um, but he shouldn't be back in, back in training until next week. So most of your conversation with Caleb Porter today focused, however, on the Timbers U.S. Open Cup game in Seattle. That is tomorrow, as we talked about with Nat, uh, tomorrow at 7.30 at Starfire Sports, Sports Complex in Tequila. Uh, what kind of lineup do you think the Timbers are going to put out in this game? Uh, and, and how does that compare to what you think the Sounders are, are, are likely to roll out? Yeah, I, I'm expecting based on I think Caleb Porter said it will be majority T2 players. Um and so I'm expecting a lineup that looks a lot like a T2 game. Um, there's obviously some players within that that are on the Timbers roster, but have been spending time in T2. There's probably going to be a few sprinkling in of, you know, maybe first team players, but um, I'm not ex- really expecting anyone who, who played 
against uh, Dallas on the weekend to be, to be involved in this U.S. Open Cup game. I think given the injuries, uh, given the international duty, given how thin Portland's roster is right now, and given the fact they have to then go to Colorado on Saturday and after that go to Minnesota on Wednesday, um, if they want to prioritize MLS, uh, and I think this Colorado game is a game they see as an opportunity, we'll get into that more, to, to win on the road. I don't think the Timbers have much choice except to completely rotate their lineup here. So I'm expecting to see a a number of players that fans that don't follow T2 closely might not have ever heard of, uh, to be honest. I'm expecting a T2 call-ups and and, um, this to essentially be a T2 game. But um, I think the one maybe good side on that is it doesn't sound like the Sounders are going to roll out their best lineup either. So this might be a lot closer to a T2 versus S2 game than it is a Timbers first team versus uh, Sounders first team game. Aren't you all like really excited to, to watch this game now? It, it is going to be a barn burner uh, of players that only like the biggest nerds among us have ever heard of. Um, uh, okay, I mean, it, it is kind of a perfect storm for the Timbers. They, they do have a bunch of injuries, specifically among, among depth guys. Like, it's actually kind of crazy, you know, if you were to chart out sort of the Timbers first choice team, you know, really Ridgewell and Miller are the only two guys that are, that are, that are out. Otherwise it's just been like a, a plague on the Timbers depth. You've got Maddox and, and, and Barnby guys that I, I think otherwise would definitely play in this game. Chance Myers, a guy that would certainly play in this game. Uh, you know, Alvis Powell is out on international duty. Otherwise I think he would definitely play in this game. Uh, you know, I mean, you would probably certainly see, uh, Amobi Okugo in this game, if it weren't for the other injuries, you'd probably, you know, we, you know, I, I guess it's possible you see maybe an Okugo or maybe you see a Zemanski. I kind of doubt it for Okugo, uh, in light of the fact that he now may have to start, uh, in Colorado. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are a lot of guys that you would sort of under normal circumstances expect to see in this game and that the Timbers would be willing, even in light of sort of the, the midweek game in the week following it as well. Uh, but in, in light of all all of that, that you would expect to still see in this game, uh, if the Timbers were even close to being healthy and and, and in and sort of not called up on international squads uh, for this Open Cup game, that just aren't going to be there. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's what it's down to. I mean, do, do you think that that is a justifiable perspective from the Timbers? Should they be going out and, and, and maybe stretching guys a little bit more, having them play? Uh, you know, double back off of the performance from Saturday, get, uh, you know, at least uh, 60 minutes or so in uh, heading into to Colorado on the weekend. Should they be playing a few more starters? Uh, how do you think the Timbers should approach this? And, and, and do you think it, it's ultimately reasonable? I think the Timbers are doing what they have to do. I think it wouldn't make a lot of sense to put their starting guys out there, given that it's on a poor field, it's on the road. They don't want to risk injuries, especially with the injuries they already have uh, going into Colorado um, and then going into Minnesota. Um, They were always going to rotate their lineup, I I assumed for this game. And I think the only difference is that so many depth pieces are out. They aren't really able to rotate their lineup without going down to T2 and trying to use some of those players. Um, I, they have a terrible draw. I, as I wrote about, I mean, I think the Timbers deserve if they're not to be fed up with the U S open cup process, giving essentially a draw against MLS team in the fourth round every single year where other teams are getting to play lower division opponents and rotating like this wouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, and, and getting forced to play on the road. They, this is not a game they should necessarily win going on the road to a place that the Sounders hardly ever lose in a bad field, a tough place to play. 
And it, it comes at a time that the, if they if they were going to go out there and, and try to play the guys that played against FC Dallas, I I convinced that they would be sacrificing the Colorado game, a, a winnable game on the road. I I do not think those same guys would then be able to go out. Um, but you hope that they wouldn't suffer any injuries, but then be able to go out and put in the performance that Timbers need at Colorado and then go back again and put in the performance that Timbers need against Minnesota. So I think the Timbers are doing the correct thing. I think the U.S. Open Cup process, the, the, a lot of questions have been raised around that um, this year, and I, I think that's deserved, um, given that the Timbers seem to be the one team that year after year is playing another MLS opponent and it's making these decisions a bit harder. Um but I think the Timbers have to approach it like this, and they're doing the right thing. You know, I, I sort of put this out there on Twitter, but th- this is how I think about how a team should approach U.S. Open Cup, and especially these early rounds. And the first question for me is, is whether the team is sort of in the hunt in MLS. Look, I mean, if in June, heading into this Open Cup game, you're looking at your team, you're looking at your spot in the table and saying, you know what? I don't think we're a playoff team. If we do sneak in, we ain't doing anything in the playoffs. We're just not that good. This just isn't our year. Then, yeah, you should take Open Cup seriously. Yeah, you should roll some of these guys back in the in these games and really try to try to get there because the U.S. Open Cup is sort of one of the, one of the ways, and probably if you're in that circumstance, the most viable way to win a trophy to, to get into CONCACAF Champions League. So, you know, if you're not in the hunt in MLS – Go for it. Go for it in, in, in Open Cup and, and see if you can bring it home. Certainly teams have done that in the past, the most famous of which, D.C. United. They were absolutely god-awful. What was it, in 2013? Uh, they were god-awful in, in MLS. Just terrible. Uh, historically bad. Chivas-level bad. Uh, and, and and they go and they won U.S. Open Cup. Uh, and that amazingly got them into CCL that year. If you are in the hunt, though, if you do think that you've got a team that's capable of not only getting into the playoffs, but making some noise in the playoffs, maybe making a run at the Supporter Shield, but certainly you think you're a team that's got a realistic shot if you get in the playoffs, then you've got to think long and hard about it. And you've got to sort of get into what kind of a draw you get. Look, if you get that first game at home, then maybe it is worth some sort of measured risk, right? And saying, hey, we can win this first game at home. That gets us into the round of 16. Then it's a 1-16 in 16 shot, essentially, uh, of us winning this trophy. And maybe that's worth putting some level of, of effort into. Or maybe that's worth taking some level of risk uh, in, in, in order to win. If you don't, though, I mean, gosh, it, it looks awfully stiff. I, I mean, look, teams lose uh, about 70%, uh, a little bit over 70% of their road games in these sort of single elimination uh, kinds of things. Uh, and, and so that starts you off, even in the round of 32, that starts you off in a pretty bad spot. And when you're just doing sort of the pure mathematical calculus of it, you're, I mean, it probably is fair to say you have not better than, and probably a little bit worse than a one in 32 chance of winning this tournament, uh, of, of actually getting the, the goal of getting uh CONCACAF champions, like, uh, of getting that trophy, and, and when you're trying to make decisions about, about then how you're going to sort of position yourself in the MLS Cup playoffs, how you're going to position yourself in the Supporter Shield race, it, I, I think it starts to make a lot more sense to say, you know what, Open Cup is just not our thing this year. We, we're a team that, that we think we can do damage in the playoffs. We think our, our odds of getting into those playoffs and having that 1-12 one, one shot, at least, uh, of, of winning MLS Cup, of having you know, a good chance, maybe a one in six or one in seven shot at getting to supporter shield. That is where our focus should be. Uh, we should not be sort of, sort of putting uh, a bunch into this road game 
at, you know, Seattle in the Timbers case. Uh, but but we shouldn't be putting the, that much into this road U.S. Open Cup game. And so in many ways, the Timbers have the worst uh, of all worlds when it comes to U.S. Open Cup in that this year. Because, look, they are uh, a team that's in the hunt in MLS. They're second in the Western Conference, as we mentioned. Uh, they are a team that got a, a, a bad, and not just bad, but catastrophic uh, U.S. Open Cup draw. And that not only do they go on the road, but unlike most teams in, uh, in, in the fourth round of U.S. Open Cup, or most MLS teams, I should say, Unlike most MLS teams in the fourth round of U.S. Open Cup, uh, they've got to go on the road to another MLS side, granted what we just talked about. But, it, but I mean, the, the, this is uh, sort of <laughs> another perfect storm in, in, in sort of the, that decision tree of how you figure out whether you're going to put that much in, into U.S. Open Cup. And so I think it makes total sense. In light of everything you said, Jamie, it makes total sense to have the Timbers sort of approach this uh, in a very, very pragmatic, uh, to put it, you know, euphemistically, uh, in a very, very pragmatic way. So the the next question I think comes from Matt. And uh, this was set up, I think, sort of perfectly on the Timbers broadcast of the FC Dallas game, uh, in which uh, our good friend Nat Borchers at, at one point basically described the the, the Starfire uh, surface, the, the field at the Starfire Sports Complex. I, I, I'm sure I'm not going to get this exactly right, so somebody's going to have to correct me. But as glitter spread, green glitter spread on top of plywood or something like that, uh, j- j- essentially saying that this field is, is sort of just catastrophic as far as a playing surface goes. Uh, Matt wants to know, is it time for the U.S. Soccer Federation to consider sort of upgrading or raising the field standard, uh, the, the standard of field quality in U.S. Open Cup games? What do you think? Yes, I, I mean, I, I think you want to be in a condition where it's not dangerous. I, I think the difficult thing is when you're dealing with amateur teams in the lower, um, in, in the opening rounds there's only so many options not every team has an mls facility that they can play on um maybe setting more of a standards when you're dealing with mls teams they can't just be playing on a bad secondary field when they have the option um maybe under circumstances where if you have the option to play on a better field do you, you don't go with the secondary one um I think it is difficult when you're dealing with maybe some amateur teams that don't have those options or in the early rounds, but I don't see why the Timbers should have to play against the Sounders on a subpar field. Um, but that said, I, I think as I've alluded to and talked about, there's a lot of things the uh, U.S. soccer should be considering in kind of reworking yeah, okay. um, the U.S. Open Cup and making it a more equitable, um, making the field conditions better, making it a better tournament all around. You know, and to that larger point, I have no problem in sort of all of these, like, travel expenses, sort of like the, the you know, cost things that, that go uh, into U.S. Open Cup. I have no problem if they discriminate against MLS clubs. If they say, you know what, if you're, uh, you know, if, if you're a USL club that's not affiliated uh, or, or, or you're a, an amateur side especially – uh, or if you're a PDL side, your field standard is going to be X, right? Your stadium standard is going to be X. Uh, if you're an MLS club, I'm sorry, your stadium standard, your field standard is going to be X times four. Uh, you Like if you're an MLS club, there is no reason you should be playing at on a field the quality of Starfire. That's not going to be acceptable for US Open Cup. Uh, that's not going to be acceptable in light of the club resources that you have. And, and it goes just to the point that you made, that if you have other options, and literally every single club in MLS has better options than Starfire. Uh, if you have better options, you've got to take it. For for MLS teams, 
sorry, you're just gonna have to you're just gonna have to bear those travel costs. Frankly, that's something that I, I think they could say to USL and NASL sides too. You guys are just gonna have to bear the travel costs. And we're going to open up the regions a little bit to make it uh, a little bit more equitable, as you noted. But if you're an MLS, an NASL side or a USL side, just plan for that. You've got a plan uh, to cover travel costs in the case that's how, in the instance, that's how it turns out in the draw. Of course, again, if you're a PDL side, we're going to help you out with that. Uh, if you're an amateur side in, in the fifth or, or lower divisions, you're going to, we're going to help you out with that so that you, so that those teams can travel if they need to. And if that, if the draw works out that way and heck, we're going to tax the MLS sides to, in order to, to put together that, that fund of money. But yeah, I've got no problem when it comes to field quality, when it comes to travel expenses and that kind of stuff, setting higher standards for MLS sides than, than we do for those lower division sides. And I do think to, to sort of get to the nugget of Matt's question, it's ridiculous. The, that the Sounders were allowed to play on a, a, a field as bad as the field at Starfire. Look, it's, you know, I, there, there is a range of field quality in MLS. If you've never watched a game at Starfire, you will come to appreciate just how much better the worst fields in MLS are. This, it, 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 like, it makes a visual difference in the game. Every single time I've never watched a game at Starfire where I would say that was even okay soccer. It is, it is ugly. It's a bandbox. Whether you want to call it a boxing match or a ping pong game or, 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 or billiards or whatever you want to call it, it is bad and it leads to bad soccer, even when there are really good players on the field. Uh, and when you're an MLS side, there's no reason USSF should allow, should allow for those conditions to exist. Uh, Timbers versus Colorado, where the field will certainly be a bit better than it will be at Starfire. Uh, I think the sort of big question going into the game, there's, there's not been a lot of attention paid to it yet because there is sort of the intervening U.S. Open Cup game. But the big question going into it is where sort of on the must-win scale is this for the Timbers? Second in MLS, uh, but going on the road where everybody in MLS, as Matt Doyle pointed out last week, has had some problems. Uh, where on the must-win scale for the Timbers do you think this is? I think this is an opportunity for the Timbers to win on, on the road against a team that has not had that great of a season they have been Colorado has been much better at home than they have been on the road so I it's not going to be an easy game where the Timbers can just walk all over Colorado or anything like that but it is an opportunity for them to pick up three points that said I think the Timbers are in a good position right now I think coming off the two wins at home um, puts them in a good position in second place in the Western Conference I think one point on the road here is a good result I I don't think they want to lose they do definitely want to pick up points here but I think the Timbers are in a good spot right now, and I do not think of this as a must-win game. I think of it as an opportunity to pick up three points, and the Timbers are going to probably go in wanting to do that and be very happy if they walk away with that. But I don't think it's something where we should be thinking it's the end of the world or that they um, blew an opportunity that they had to take if they don't walk away with the full three. You know, I, I, I think characterizing it as an opportunity to get three points and, and, and the kind of opportunity that you do need to seize a number of times over the course of the season, but as an opportunity to get three points is a reasonable way to put it. I quibble just a little bit with your wording, though. Uh, I don't think one point would necessarily be a good result. I, I think one point would be sort of an acceptable result. Uh, they wouldn't be disappointed. They wouldn't be frustrated or mad if they got one point. But look, I mean, this this is a game that if they lose, they should be genuinely disappointed because this Timbers team is just flat out better than the Rapids, period. Uh, the Timbers are just better than the Rapids. And, and even going on the road, even with the uh, elevation and all of that junk, uh, they should absolutely expect uh, to get a result in, in this game. They should expect 
uh, to at least get a point, and, and they should feel like they absolutely can uh, get those three points. Uh, we got a few sort of uh, miscellaneous Timbers questions uh, before we move on to, uh, to, to what's been kind of a quiet week for the Thorns. But the miscellaneous Timbers questions, we start with Siri, uh, who wants to know what, if anything, should be made of the fact that uh, as defenders were dropping like flies uh, against SC Dallas, that Alvis Powell was not subbed into the game. Yeah, I, I think that my initial reaction um, when I, I felt like Roy Miller wasn't going to come back was that they were going to bring Powell on and move Valentin uh, to center back, a position he has played in the past. Um, I think in retrospect, it did make a lot of sense that they bring in um, they, they bring in Zemanski and move uh, uh, Moby Akugo back to center back, given that Olam and Akugo have played alongside each other before. It, it's a pairing that's worked and, and made sense and then the Timbers have practiced with. So I think ultimately when looking at all the options, Zemanski's a proven player uh, at defensive midfield. I, I think that it made sense um, to go with that option. And it wasn't necessarily a slight on Powell to leave him on the bench. That said, clearly Valentin's performing, clearly Powell's on the bench, even though he's healthy. And um, that's a job he has to win back. And that's going to be with proving something to Caleb Porter in practice because Valentin's proving it in the game. So um, Powell, I think, has some work to do if he's going to be back on the field. I agree. Uh, Wes wants to know, given the Timbers center back issues uh, w- with regard to uh, the sort of health crisis uh, at center back, where is Renico Clark in all of this? Yeah, it, that's an interesting question. Um, I think this is a good opportunity for Renico Clark to prove himself in a U.S. Open Cup game on Tuesday and show that he deserves to be a little bit higher up on the depth chart than he has seemed to be this year. I, the Timbers expectation was that Renico Clark would see playing time. And clearly, given that that's not an option they've gone to, that's not an option when there's been injuries back there that they've immediately thrown him in the game. They they see as realistic at the moment that he is going to come in and start a game. At least that's what it seems like. Um, so I, I think this U.S. Open Cup games is an interesting chance to see how Clark performs. It. And if that helps maybe Caleb Porter think a little bit more about where he sees him on the depth chart because um, they certainly wanted him to be a player that could see real minutes this year. And it, it seems like it just hasn't happened yet. It, these players have to prove themselves in practice. So we don't always see all of that, um, but he has to prove himself there. He has to prove himself with T2 and um, show Caleb Porter that he deserves to get a chance on the field. Yeah. I mean, the, the simple answer to the question is clearly behind a Mobio Kugo on the, uh, on, on the center back to depth chart. Uh, we certainly know that much for sure. Uh, but you're exactly right, where it's a matter of he's now got to sort of prove that he is, that he deserves, frankly, to be above Omobi Okoro, that he deserves to be uh, on the depth chart among, above some of these other guys. The only reason why I'm not sort of going to jump on the negative train when it comes to Clark is, A, he is still I, talented, uh, the, the Timbers certainly think, but he is very, very green still. Uh, and so that makes sense. Uh, I, I think there was hope that maybe he could sort of get over some of that greenness and, and get on the field more this year. Uh, that hasn't yet panned out. Um, but, but, you know, second, I, I think the guys above him, frankly, have performed fairly well. And so it's not like this job is 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 coming easy in, in being handed to him. He's got guys above him that have been doing fairly well, uh, you know, in sort of their respective <laughs> spots on the depth chart. Roy Miller has been good for a third center back. Uh, Moby Okugo or, or, or Lawrence Olam has been perfectly fine for a guy that's, you know, probably slated to be a third or fourth center back. 
Uh, Moby Okugo, for a guy that's a fourth or fifth center back, has been perfectly fine. It has been good. And so it's not like this is sort of being handed to Clark by any means. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's fair to sort of have a little bit of disappointment that that he hasn't sort of taken that next step forward uh, to to sort of capture one of those spots. But, as you noted, no better time than than on Tuesday evening to, to show that he is ready to take that step forward. Uh, Ivan wants to know, do you see any players from the Timbers leaving on loan or in a transfer this summer? Kind of a left field question, but it's a perfectly fair one. The transfer window is going to open up in, I think, three or four weeks now. Uh, and so that's a valid question that we should have our eye on at this point. Yeah, um, I, I don't really uh, th- see any players leaving. I think the fact that the Timbers are right in the mix, are definitely a, a playoff contender, makes me think that they're going to keep this roster together. And any moves, any big moves we see are um, with players going out. Um, versus coming in is going to happen in um, uh, the off season. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't, I don't think there will be anybody sort of big or significant that we see uh, leave in, in the summer, especially as you know, unless the Timbers do something like go into the tank uh, over the course of the next month, which I I don't expect for any reason. Uh, but unless there's something like that that happens, I, I don't think we're going to see much of a roster shakeup. Frankly, other other than the addition of Mabiala. Uh, when Mabiala gets here, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's the only move uh, the Timbers make in, in, in the summer window and that this is more or less the team uh, that we're going to have going into uh, into the stretch run. Okay, a little bit of Thorn stuff, but honestly, it's been as quiet a week for the Thorns as I can remember sort of in a season. The reason, of course, being that it's been the international window, so, so a lot of players have been off uh, with the national team uh doing all of that the thorns had the off week and so they a lot of them took in the timbers game uh but did not have a game of their own uh they do have a game though upcoming against sky blue sort of the return uh in, match in the home and home uh that they had even if it was interrupted by a week uh toman heath i think it, it is fair to say certainly expected to be in the team would you agree with that that she is expected to be in the team and, and probably a part of the game in some respect uh on saturday yeah, that was the expectation from her and Parsons last time we spoke um, with both of them. It, we will have to get another update this week. But barring anything, any setback, anything that's changed, I, I think that's what fans should be able to expect. Uh, Dagny Brynja's daughter made her return uh, last week uh, against Sky Blue. She played, what, 25 or 30 minutes or so, uh, if, if memory is serving me correctly from all that time ago. So you would certainly expect, unless there's been a setback there, that she will also be available uh, for the Thorns. Uh, I think the only issue from sort of the NWSL level to to discuss this week is is we got a sort of, I mean, in some ways it was out of the blue uh, release today about NWSL adjusting a whole bunch of kickoff times. Uh, sort of for the purpose of expanding the, the, the time that they have allotted uh, to have water breaks. Do you think this makes sense as sort of a reaction to the, the, the Houston-Seattle game that they had earlier in the year in which they, they played in Houston starting at 3 o'clock or some ungodly hour uh, in, in midday heat? Uh, or, or do you think this fails to address that fundamental problem? Yeah, I mean, it's a step, I guess. But yeah, I, I don't think it really addresses the fundamental problem, which is playing at that time of day. They're moving these kickoff times by a half an hour. It, it's not going to substantially change what the field conditions are going to be like. And oftentimes the heat on the field is a lot worse than just the temperature um, for, for fans in the stands or anything like that. So yeah, it's, it's a step, I guess, but this, I, I don't see this as really addressing the problem. And, and I get that the NWSL is trying to deal with having go 90 and dealing with having their lifetime broadcasts, but 
Um, these are issues they should have thought of in advance. And when they need to have night games, they need to have night games because Houston just needs to have more night games given the conditions in the summer. And that's the time that the NWSL plays. Um, so I'm not very excited about this step. I, I'm not sure if it really addresses fully the problem that led to Rachel Daly collapsing of heat exhaustion. Yeah. I mean, this, look, I, I regard this as basically gum and, in in you know, a little bit of gum stuck in the dam uh, when it, when it comes to the, the, the problem of, of having these games scheduled in the day during the summer, uh, oftentimes in climates that are very, very warm. Uh, that certainly goes for Houston. Heck, that can be the case if you've got a game in Washington. Uh, there are a number of places uh, that NWSL plays, certainly Orlando, uh, that can get very hot. Uh, Chicago can get really hot. Uh, even Portland once in a while. And, 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 you know, I mean, you're right that it's not just about, you know, I think the thing that don't, that people don't get to allow me to backtrack just a little bit is when you're on in a stadium on a field, especially if you're in sort of an enclosed stadium, like you have in Houston, like you have in, in Orlando, you, it's not like there's a whole lot of breeze. There's just, I mean, you're basically just sitting there baking in the sun for extended periods of time. And so, yes, I mean, does, you know, it is moving the kickoff times a little bit uh, to allow for expanded uh, water breaks. Does that help? I suppose, but it really doesn't get at the core issue uh, of when you're playing these games, what the conditions on the field are like at that time. Uh, and having the, the, those couple water breaks and being able to accommodate those uh, in the TV, uh, in the allocated TV time, frankly, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. Uh, and, and I don't think it will do a whole lot for the players when it comes to solving the, the, this much, much more fundamental problem. So, I mean, it's good they did something, uh, but did to the, the point you made about this is something they needed to figure out when they were in these contract negotiations with Lifetime, uh, with Verizon and the, and the Go90 app, uh, that, that's when they needed to think of this. And, 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 and the, the fact that, the, that all they're left with now is gum to stick in the dam uh, is, is, is maybe the problem uh, as much as anything. Okay, uh, predictions time. We are almost out of time, so it is predictions time. Uh, Timbers versus Sounders, U.S. Open Cup. Um, what's what's going to happen in this game? <laughs> well, I think the Sounders, um, in whatever form they will be in, are going to score four goals um, and beat the Timbers, who are going to score two goals. And I think Marco Farfan, um, recent graduate, is going to get two assists. Yes. Uh, congratulations, by the way, to Marco graduating high school. Uh, he's, he's starting his degree, if I remember right, at, at Southern New Hampshire University or, or some such thing uh, as he continues his, his Timbers playing experience. So congratulations, young man, on the, on the high school graduation. Uh, I also think it is going to be a two-goal uh, Sounders victory, but I'm saying Sounders 2, and that's spelled T-O-O, will score three goals. And Timbers, too, also T-O-O, will score one goal. That goal, however, is going to be a Jeremy Abobasi golasso. Jamie Goldberg, Timbers at Colorado, Saturday, 630. What do you say? So I'm going to go with a Timbers, two rapid zero. I, I think the Timbers are going to go on the road and take advantage of this opportunity and earn all three points. Um, because we were talking about how important it is when Valerian Audi uh, are playing their best soccer. I'm going to go with each of those goals, one for Valeri, one for Audi. Um, and the, those guys are going to lead the way as the Timbers get three points. I kind of like that combo side bet. That's kind of neat. Uh, I think the Timbers are also going to win. I, I think they're going to seize the opportunity, uh, as you put it, but I think it's going to be a little bit closer than you suggested. I'm going to go 2-1 uh, 
uh, for the Timbers. Uh, and for my side bet, I'm going to go a Darlington Nagby. Golasso! Golasso's all around this week. Uh, Darlington Nagby is going to get one uh, himself, which would like be really special. Uh, Thorns. Thorns versus Sky Blue. That is Saturday, 7 o'clock at Providence Park. Uh, what is your call for Thorns versus Sky Blue, Jamie Goldberg? Yeah, I, I'm pretty excited about how the Thorns have been playing recently. So I am going to go with a, a pretty decisive win here. Thorns two, Sky Blue zero. They're going to, Thorns are going to keep the clean sheet again. And Heath is going to come on and her, make her debut and, and get an assist to show for it. You say you're excited about the way the Thorns have been playing. I'm going to say I'm even more excited about the way the Thorns have been playing. Uh, I'm going to call them with a 4-1 victory over Sky Blue. Uh, it is going to be an offensive performance. The, they, they've had some good uh, some good performances in the attack, and this is going to be the explosion that we've been waiting for from the Thorns attack. I'm going 4-1 Thorns uh, with a Christine Sinclair. Wait for it. Wait for it. Golasso for Christine Sinclair. Three golosos, three games, uh, two wins, one, you know, loss. Uh, that's all the time we have. We're done. Uh, you you can find us every week. We are Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us, as always, on OregonLive.com, on Stumptown Footy. Uh, and you can, of course, subscribe on iTunes as well as Stitcher. Uh, thank you again for your questions. Big thanks again to Nat Borchers for coming on the show. Uh, very much enjoyed it. We will have him back. Um, yeah, enjoy the three games, enjoy the U.S. Open Cup, enjoy the Timbers at Colorado, and enjoy the Thorns against Sky Blue on Saturday evening. Uh, We'll be back next week to talk about all of that. And until then, of course, take care.